Hey everyone, before we start, we're just going to have a quick word from our sponsors to thank them for supporting this podcast. Word. Okay, so, welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Imposter, the podcast dedicated to making science more fun and engaging for you, the audience. Actually, this week is a part two of last week's episode, Kelp Culture, with Dean McEwen and Hannah Lowey. And funny enough, we actually don't even talk about kelp really this episode. In fact, we tackle an entirely different topic altogether, which is what, if any, has changed since you've come into academia, since you have become a scientist, and if anything has changed in your day-to-day life and how you view it. Now, this manifests itself in many different ways. We talk about media and movies to the way you think the world should be run, frankly. And let me tell you, it's a very interesting episode. I will say there's one caveat. Upon listening to the episode and editing it, I realize that there is a point where I infer that films that deal with space exploration and time travel might be more heavily funded or get more consultancy or might be more scientifically accurate. And upon reflection, I have to say... There are plenty of examples of space and time travel films that do not meet that criteria. Gravity, case in point, I mean, what is going on in that film? I understand you have a narrative that you're trying to get across and maybe deal with a very real situation of what does a human do when they're alone, but, I mean, come on, like, try a little bit. Like, just just a little bit. All right, I'm giving you a taste of the tensions that we go on, so I'm just going to stop right now and tell you that this is a hilarious episode, as every episode is, but also a very informative one, and it will capture your imagination, it will bring you to tears, and then it will bring you back out again from your little tear hole. That sounds weird. Forget I said that. Alright, so, without further ado, let's get into this episode. Enjoy. We live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, by we I mean the general public, if it's something that, oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? We've really got to start at the earliest levels with having a broader view of what education really can and should be. Because I find that with the young people we have, we are able to Science is all around us. It's in us. Knowledge of science is power. It gives you an understanding of the forces of nature. It's not even about how much science you know. It's about how science literate you are. So I'm, I'm going to ask the question that I was going to ask at the beginning of the podcast, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm, I've been enjoying these tangents uh, too much to interject really. But Dean, as someone who is in the sciences currently and who's been in it for the last, safe to say, f- at least four years. Yep. Is that Yeah. Is it's it's four years of undergrad in the yeah. UK. So, yeah. Has that affected the way you live your daily life? The way you think about things? When you go to the movies, Dean, do you watch movie and oh, do you say, no. Definitely. Clearly, clearly... 
that's just not how the marine world works. It makes you, I think it makes you overanalyze everything. Mm. You know, certain things become impossible to watch because you're like, this is nonsense. <laughs> and you just stop watching it. Or like Jurassic World. Yeah. That was pretty Espe- bad. Particularly like if you go into like molecular biology, mm. like the thing winds me up is when you own this, you see uh, footage of people in labs on like the news and stuff. Yeah. And you're just like, what? What are they doing? <laughs> they're like wearing a lab coat when they don't need to be and they're holding their pipette sideways <laughs> and they, they're it's just like... It's the gangster way. Hold it sideways. Yeah. You're like, they've just got like a, a flask in front of them and that's it with a brightly colored liquid in it. It just, it makes you, it makes you overanalyze everything when you probe the yeah. what, what are they actually doing? Yeah. Uh, they're wearing a lab coat, but they're not wearing gloves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Protect your body. That's the main, that's the main objective. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, as well, or, or actually, if there's no slides in the microscope that they're looking at. Yeah, or, or um, do you know the TV series Sherlock? Oh, yeah. With Benedict Cumberbatch? Who doesn't? And Martin Freeman, don't forget. The, the thing that constantly happens in that is he sits down at his light microscope. Oh, don't ruin Sherlock. And Barney. looks down it, and what are, is in it is electron microscope images. So he's seeing, like, individual, like, cells. <laughs> like, really, like, really high detail with a light like microscope. Like a regular microscope. It's just, like, not, not <laughs> even close. It's like... It's like looking through a pair of binoculars to see the moon. <laughs> it's just, no, you can't do that. It's impossible. Uh, I'm sorry, Sherlock. <laughs> Sherlock, maybe, maybe it's actually not a goof. Maybe his eyesight is that good. Maybe. I think also being a scientist kind of makes you a little bit like that Sherlock, you know, kind of like a little less sensitive to feelings. <laughs> I, but you know what is interesting because I came more from probably the conservation background and there it's like people that are very passionate mm-hmm. and very into what they do, not to say scientists are, um, and very dramatic and mm. sometimes that gets lost on objectivity that comes when you're looking at they said It's lost in translation. Yeah, and, and whereas when you go more towards academia and the scientific route, well, I say that conservation biology, I... I think it's a great field but um very interesting but you know you're not going to have a scientist that let's say they're working on a particular species they still are going to hopefully be objective and not not present a study with the intention of proving something they're going to report what they find not what they want to find i think that that's the ideal like if, if you could do that, that would be great. And from its outset, I think science was aimed at doing that. And that's why they would always write in the third person to kind of distance themselves as right. much as possible. But I think that it's impossible to be like Completely. that, to be yeah. that, I think. Like, well, if there's a name of, in, in Sushoda, there's a name of that effect where just by studying something you change. Yes, yeah. You change it, and it's just by choosing to do that research, a scientist is already no longer objective. Yeah. yeah. Is it the Heisenberg uncertainty? I'm not in say yes. Well, that's but to I do. No with, that's yeah. to do with when you observe something, you change it. So when you. Oh look, yeah. That was to do with. I think it was to do with. Um, no, it's not. It's not that. Scrap that. Scrap oh, that. But but I do know that is that is 
what, as soon as you observe something. But it's true. I mean, f- for me, like when I'm looking to our microscopes for viruses, I want to see a virus. I want, there's a certain type of virus I really want to see. Yeah. But you're not going to sit there and be like, yeah. oh, this kind of yeah. looks like a virus. So I'm, I'm going to say it's yeah. definitely a virus. Like, that does happen. And there are examples of things like fraud and people like Photoshop things in. No. Yeah. Photoshop. Yeah. There was a paper that got recalled because... They were trying to show that gold nanoparticles will go somewhere in the cell and they just photoshopped them into the cells. But it's really obvious. Like <laughs> there's a black, so you got this black square, but around it, you know how a cell under an electron microscope is like full of stuff, like uh, little molecules and gray stuff everywhere. Mm. And around these nanoparticles they photoshopped in, there's a blank white border around it so it's really <laughs> obvious oh you're at least yeah right like go, go to a film student and, and there's like. there are tons and tons of examples where basically a big industry will pay a scientist to have to find something yeah well that was the whole thing when we did um the, at the beginning of our of our MRES, mm-hmm. we had that whole lecture about like fraud and how big it was in the biomedical field because obviously everybody's got a vested interest in yeah publishing well, got to come from somewhere and the moment there's money involved, yeah. there's got to be yeah. an agenda. So. There's true. a push towards, like, get it published, get it out there. Mm. You know, some people would say at any cost, you know, if you tweak things. Well, it's a it whole does thing, yeah. uh, It does happen. It does happen. And it's not like it's a new thing either. I mean, the tobacco companies knew a good chunk of what the actual adverse effects of smoking was for a while before mm-hmm. it became public. Same yeah. thing with, with sugar now, like, yeah. and, and, and fossil all, fuels for that matter. Have like, you seen Merchants of Doubt, the no. documentary? No, it's all about that. So about, about which one? About the tobacco industry and the current, like, sugar industry and climate change oh, industry, I guess, yeah, the oil companies. What's it called? Merchants of Doubt. So it's about, they don't deny the science because they can, because mm. it's so, it's, it's you know, it's solid. <laughs> yeah. You're coming up against, like, a global community of yeah. scientists doing good work so what they do instead is they just see doubt so they just they just say there's no consensus or they just muddy the waters yeah. so people focus on other stuff it's really really interesting uh, so they say well there's no evidence you know, the, the scientists aren't really saying that so it's like a misinformation campaign almost yeah but it works well because scientists don't have that good like they're not as good at like the media as these people are. Yeah. So when they say there's no consensus, then the scientists come on and there's only like a handful, you know, we all know them like Bill Nye. Yeah, exactly. uh, Stephen Hawking, you know, they're like the, there's a handful of people that do all the talking. Yeah. So it gives this illusion of there's very few. Yeah. So it kind of makes it, and also makes it look like it's a debate when it's not, when it's literally overwhelming evidence versus a private interest. Well, that was the thing with climate change and yeah. in, in the news in particular, because there, you know, you'd have an interview where they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're going to have a climate scientist on," but for you know a fair and balanced conversation, we have to have a climate denier on, or you know, yes. some, some, and it's like actually, no, you don't really. Yeah. There's. But so, how do you balance that? What kind of things need to change for that more scientists have got forum to speak on? That is an academic paper because I wouldn't sit and well, read through. <coughs> An academic journey, not interest. Yeah. What? Where else? What else does the scientific community need to do to take that step to try and address that? Podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> podcasts. But I think it is, the, in a sense, scientists and, and just the, the fields of science in general, the the 
feel of it does itself a disservice because we are trained to use words that are slightly vague or, you mm -hmm. know, like potential, probable, like mm -hmm. things like that, that if you're reading it, you'd be like, oh, well, they, they're not sure, you know, like when you're actually reporting it to the public, the, and, and that's aside from the fact that scientists disagree with each other all the time, but you might have them disagreeing on a preferred method or something in particular, whereas if a news source picks that up, they'll say like, oh, yeah, they just disagree on the concept in general. You know, like there's, there's a lot of ways in which the fields in general just don't make for conducive reporting and, and have that kind of bridge to yeah. the public where you can accurately display the information and the research that's being done in, in a fair and accurate way. Mm -hmm. Popular mass media wants sensationalism and it wants yeah. a clear-cut answer. It, it thrives and on it. It wants something that will make people feel afraid mm -hmm. as well. That's, that's usually what gets the headlines. So I guess the world of science, which is cautious and not necessarily yeah. like, run for your life, doesn't <laughs> really, God. it's not compatible with a lot of media, a lot, how a lot of people access media. Yeah. At least with like TV and stuff. Which, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it is, it is interesting. I mean, there's definitely been, I think, a push to make science in TV and movies a bit more, should we say, literate, scientifically literate. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's uh, an organization, I forget what it's called, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's in Los Angeles, that is literally science and film together so that they work with scientists when they're writing scripts or TV shows as consultants, you know? And so at least the efforts there, even if it's not 100%. That said, you still have stuff like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where there's, at least they have two scientists and they're not mad scientists that are villains, which is always a good thing. But, you know, they are, I think, a physicist and a biologist, but they know every single field of science. Like, oh, right. they, they just know everything there is. I noticed there's a funny... Um, about every field. <laughs> loads of films and shows and stuff, they use this phrase where they say, at the cellular level, <laughs> and they constantly bring it up, but they use it, like, it doesn't mean anything when they <laughs> use it usually. It's really funny. Like, the virus is binding with them at the cellular level. And it's like, what? What else would it do? <laughs> yeah, that's what it does. <laughs> right, like, that is, you're just describing what's going it's, on. It's funny, like, you know, say a science thing... <laughs> You know, I think Futurama tackles that very nicely. Futurama is very good. And they, they actually are very, <clears throat> to, dig, to give credit to them, they're very good about that. But they, uh, they had an episode where they were kind of making fun of exactly that, where um, I think Fry's like, oh, I'm going to describe something very, very easy in a very convoluted way that makes it sound scientific, <laughs> yeah. and then have someone else repeat it in layman's terms. <laughs> And oh then, like, they, they yeah. literally do the exact thing where it's like, if I just revert the thrusters to go backwards, <laughs> oh, like moving a ping pong ball in a water dish, right? <laughs> <laughs> Analogies are good, but sometimes they get a bit ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though I don't know whether it's just, as I'm getting older, people that I spend time with, but I feel like people are becoming more interested in having, like, accurate information portrayed in films. Like, not all genres of film. But I think more and more people don't want to look at something and it be utterly ridiculous because it adds an extra layer of interest if the science is at least theoretically right. And I think I like that about films. If I can look at it and think it's not complete rubbish, I think people are becoming more aware of that as with things like the interweb. 
on the internet. Like, people look up things about their favourite films more and stuff. It's less you just go watch a film and come back. There's lots more discussion about films now. And I think that extra layer to any kind of script or anything gives people more to talk about. So I think it is becoming more popular. Mm. I think, though, that it does depend on the, the, the genre of film. Like, definitely for space and sci-fi stuff, I'm thinking, like, Interstellar, Men in Black, stuff that deals with astrophysics and quantum physics and regular physics. Like, they, they tend to have a lot of consultancy work because they want to get the time travel right or they want to get the space exploration right. You know, whereas maybe other films that have to do with the lesser known or on not as popular, like marine biology. Yeah, or like Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yeah, entomology. Feel, feel bad for them. But, you know, I think it does because, and I think that reflects the popularity of what it is. I mean, space exploration is huge, and it's been that way. The whole thing about how we know more about, you know, what we were talking about at breakfast today, actually, that you know more about the surface of the moon than you know about, you know, our oceans. I mean, arguably, some of the, I mean, some of the reasons to go to Mars or to access resources that we're running out of, like... Helium. Mining, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. But the sea has untapped resources as well. Yeah. And the, the, the most of it that we haven't even gone to. Yeah, but I don't want people to know that. I yeah. want them to just need to see <laughs> yeah, even I think that's a good yeah. ignorance because we'll just yeah. that's that's the thing. Do you think we'll ever build cities that like float in the sea? You know you always see like those concept sketches of it. I, and you're like, eh. I I just with how rough and unpredictable deep seas could be, I mean I'm sure they probably wouldn't be just floating, floating. It must be Anchored, anchored, or, yeah. or at least I mean, maybe they'll do like a little pulley system along the coast, and just like you'll have seasonal, uh, like do it migrates, yeah, migrations of these floating cities across a coast line. But I don't know. I, I I look at that. Even the um, the floating garden idea, which would be great, but I think you could you could make effective use of urban spaces like fairly useful if you just do vertical gardening. I think and. If we had greenery on every roof in the country, mm, mm. like not even the other space that's taken up by building the road, just on every roof, if you had solar energy and people just had to grow plants on their roof, like suddenly the whole world, like think about how much square footage of additional... Well, that's the thing. If you were responsible, at the very least, for just your vegetables... Like, obviously, you could do a, a crop share, and you grow something, and your neighbor grows the other, and you switch because you'll just have excess of the other thing. Like, yeah. I mean, I think that that should... I, ideally, I would like that if everybody could just... Then again, that's that's also saying that you have the space and the money to invest in that, but... I heard someone said... Um... You know how around cities, you have these areas where there's lots of weeds growing? Yeah. You know, that means there's enough, there's resources there to grow plants. So why not replace the weeds with with edible things? Well, not that weeds That's aren't edible. But no, I know, I know what you're saying, yeah. I mean, there are, and I do think that the popularity of kind of urban farms are, are growing. And, you know, you, you have these uh, experiments that they're doing that, I think there's definitely one in London, definitely one in New York, where they, you know, found old subway stations that are abandoned but damp, so the perfect climate for mushrooms, and so they grow the mushrooms there. And you know, there are spaces that we can be using that would. Yeah, there's one. Is it in New York where they've got 
It's underground, but they've used a big mirror system. That, that's a park, though. It's just an underground park. They're not using it. No, they're using it. They've set one up where they're using mirrors to create enough light for photosynthesis to happen. So they've got a huge underground yeah. growing vegetables. Yeah, yeah, they, no. Maybe it's a different one thing there, but the, they're using the same thing. They have mirrors that are shining down and getting the light, but they're just doing it so it's a park for people to walk in, an underground park. Cool. I mean, with that, though, that you can, I mean, you always do have the potential that they're able to grow other trees and plants and stuff like that. Why can't they grow vegetables? Yeah. So, this is interesting. I think we should all live in Hobbiton houses. Oh, I know. Every, so good. Every new building, every new thing gets built in, like, Synthesis with the existing area. We just don't have super nice houses. That's why I don't understand why it doesn't happen. Maybe it's a cost thing. I don't know, but I feel like it wouldn't cost that much more to develop houses that have gardens on the top that blend into our environment. Have you seen Earthship houses? Yes, they're, they're really amazing. Yeah. What is that? They're, maybe they're like straw and clay. And they have they've got built in greenhouses and they're like built as if they've risen up out of the ground from the yeah. what? So cool. They yeah. use um, like air currents and tunnels to cool and heat the property. So it's oh all really eco-friendly. Yeah. It's all centered around and it's also like centered around like having a solar panel and a little wind turbine and using your waste to grow crops and That's amazing. It's really cool. It's just like but they're really cheap. And they've they've used them. I think they've trialed them for quick earthquake shelters. Yeah, because they they're made of like their foundations are like tires full of dirt, and huh. the walls are bottles. Yeah, like yeah. packed in, and they trap the air really well, so they're really huh. well insulated. They've done them in places that are like arid and things, haven't they? Mm-hmm. So that they're places that have extreme temperatures. They That's look like they do look like little hobo homes. That's awesome. Have you seen like things like Star Wars when they visit like yeah. oh, Star Wars, They visit these planets where people live in like these kind of that are like completely adapted to their environment. And our houses are to some extent adapted for our environment. But if you look at the different climates across the world, largely, particularly in modern buildings, they're all built the same. Yeah. Whereas like you know Romans used to build build their houses to suit the environment. We kind of ว่าเฮาส์เซนเบลดิ้งชิลล์ไลท์เวลล์ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่ไม่ใช่
eco-friendly. I mean, I remember when I was in school, my geography teacher asking who recycled. And at that point, our local council didn't recycle. So many people were like, no, because if you had, it meant you had to collect it and, it only, and go to a recycling point. There's only people who are really into that. And that was kind of weird. Whereas now, it's far more mainstream. So will that be reflected in the building industry? Because I would love it if someone built a new way of houses that were like hobbit homes. I'd buy one. In fact, I would, would build one myself because I'd want to live in one so much. I would too, frankly. Would so it, maybe that's our next business. Would a roaring door work? Well, when you're well, it doesn't need to be exactly. <laughs> why, why wouldn't a round door work? A little bit taller than that. Look, I want I want Gandalf to come in and <laughs> knock his head on <laughs> the, the, the ceiling and yell at me and, and yell turn at me. the whole wall dark shadowy. Because <laughs> if you have a roaring door, you can only have a hinge in one place. Right? No, you can have it in two places. But then it won't You'd, be able to move. Yeah, right? it wouldn't look like a completely round door because. I guess some of it would have to be behind the wall, and you'd have to have a little empty pocket um, behind the wall. Okay. But I guess if you're doing that, you might as well just have. I feel like we've ventured off very much like quite a stretch. <laughs> Listen, pocket doors are very important. You were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. She was only 16 years old. <laughs> Michael Kite. No. Michael Kite. Um, a ruby. The saws. <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say? He says it in the dark night. A ruby, the size of a tangerine. <laughs> you sound Australian. <laughs> he sounds and a little Australian. That's that's a bit rude. I think we're we're cracking Michael Keynes. A ruby, the size <laughs> of a tangerine. <laughs> you sound a bit Australian. <laughs> he sounds Australian. Michael Caine. Ma- Michael Caine. Michael Caine. And Harry Brown speaks very. Master Wayne. Slowly. <laughs> and you don't do, you don't do the broken up voice. <laughs> you don't do it. When he gets angry, he gets very loud indeed. That was good. That was good. That was good. If I if say, say so, so. I do. I say so. <laughs> All right. So Dean, we have talked about a lot of things today. Uh-huh. We have spoken about kelp. We've spoken about the benefits of kelp. Mm. We've spoken about what mm. you would do if... You happen to be hypothetically a kelp superhero. Yeah, we've, we've established a fictional world. It's and not a fictional. Real, and a real world. It's not fictional. For that said superhero. <laughs> it's real. And we've also discussed how being in sciences has changed the way that you live your life. Yeah. And, and you can actually attest to that because I think because we're so new into this career path, yeah. That we still do. I, at least I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you, but I, I, I can. I still feel the boundaries where it's like, oh yeah, this is how I would have maybe looked at this situation or watched this film and wouldn't have thought about this. Mm-hmm. And now I definitely do notice a bit more. Fresh, yeah, fresh like, like a baby. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It's a good thing. It's a good change. I think so. I think so. We're better people now. <laughs> Yeah, not pompous at all. <laughs> Being in science. Well, than our previous. Ominous. Better than our previous selves. <laughs> Still worse than a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I do. I do still mug people. On yeah. Hey, it's, it's good money. <laughs> not mine. Um, is there anything else? As you have a platform here, I like to ask my guests 
If there's anything else you'd like to say or bring up, you don't have to. There's no pressure. Um, but it could be anything. It could be about Calvin. It could be about marine biology. It could be about citizen science. It can be about bridging the gap between the public and the sciences. It can be about your dog. I mean, my dog? literally anything. Can I tell about my dog? <laughs> Go for it. Um... My dog really needs a haircut. And that's all we have time for. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, no time. Needs a haircut. Really? That's all I want to say to that. Yeah, my dog needs a haircut. All right. My dog needs a haircut, too. <laughs> I keep doing it. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, listen, it's been really fantastic doing this episode with you and not having it all crackly on the phone. <laughs> we'll still be crackly. Uh, it, it, that's it, just it, my voice. <laughs> you sound like... I don't so not only do you sound like you're in a bad area for antenna reception, but you also are out of focus like Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. You are an enigma. You are the yeah seventh wonder. How many uh, wonders are there? Oh, there's there's hundreds. Which of one wonders. was King Kong? He was the eighth wonder. But the wonders change. There's like what? A, depending where you are, like who you ask. Oh. Some people like back then it was like the pyramids and the gardens of Babylon, but then there's like modern ones, which is like um, the Statue of Liberty, maybe. No way. I don't know. No, no, the new one's Nessie that was found in the Thames. Yeah. <laughs> Saw that? You see that? Oh, wasn't there a guy went looking for it? They just they, there's like it's it is I don't know how this is news. It's another blurry picture. Yeah. Of some guy that took a picture from a cable car, the <laughs> the I think it's the Emirates one that go over the Thames. I mean, and he's like, yeah, there was it was just like bobbing up and down. I don't know what it was. It's like, and your first assumption is it's the Loch Ness monster. You could easily make a little ROV with a Nessie stuck on top and just drive it around the lock. People would be like, oh my god, it's I mean, people also want to see what they want to see. It could have been yeah, it's cardboard floating. I mean, it was a log or. Driftwood, some sort of... Just a person swimming. <laughs> Just another body. You know? <laughs> another, another lost hiker. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks uh, thanks again, Dean. Always a pleasure. You too. Always a pleasure, sir. You stay frosty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. That is all we have time for today. Feel free to drop us a line. Any comments, criticisms... Anything of the sort, we're always open for your input. As well, don't forget to like and share us on Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter, at Another Fogel. Do you have... Um, stay, in, stay in school. Oh. Stay in school, kids. I was going to ask for Twitter, but that's a far a more... Twitter? I don't have Twitter. A far more important thing. <laughs> what is this Twitter? What is Twitter? <laughs> Twitter. The birds? Birds I, and trees? Yeah, actually, oh, yeah, okay. Literally. Um... And subscribe on iTunes on the iMusic Store keyword, The Imposter Podcast. I know, it's a shocker. All right, everybody, that is our show for today. Don't forget to tune in next week where we will be having a very, very special episode. I'm not going to give away too many hints right now, but uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled because it's really, it's going to be a very special one. All right. One one last thing I promise is don't forget that we are having special little videos of Dean behind the scenes of this episode. So stay tuned to the Facebook page where there will be posts or 
on Twitter at Another Fogel. Alright, everybody, we will see you next week. Have a good week.